0: find someone that looks at you the way Albus Dumbledore looks at a beverage. You are listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for social
1: drinkers. This is Harry Potter. Harry, this is an old friend and colleague of mine, Horace Slughorn. So that's how you thought you'd persuade me, is it? Well, the answer's no, Albus. I suppose we can have a drink at least. For old time's sake, Slughorn hesitated. All right then, one drink.
2: I'm Heather Wright,
0: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: And here we are for a second week. Consecutive reading... week. Yeah, well, first of all, look at us go, making episodes every week.
0: Hashtag routines.
2: <laughs> we are back with the second week of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. We are reading the chapters called Will and Won't and Horace Slughorn and of course you will hear cursing. You will in fact hear an F-bomb in the adult themes and you will hear spoilers for this and the entire Harry Potter universe honestly. I don't think we can yet really spoil Cursed Child. Although, spoiler alert. I think we have in the past. I mean, kind of, but like we don't sort of like,
0: obliquely all the way
2: know the ins and outs there. I am seeing Cursed Child in about a month. Without so, me. Yeah, Alex isn't invited, which is like a whole long story and not my fault. <laughs> so anyway, spoilers, cursing, and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are etiquette, home invasion, star fucking, generational wealth, and security theater. So, my dear, what happened this week?
0: In this week's chapters, we finally catch up with Harry Potter again. These books are, in fact, about Harry Potter. Uh, His name's in the title. He's back at Privet Drive again, obviously. His bedroom's a fucking mess. He's just, like, you know, he's got, like, different standards for Hogwarts dorm. Like, Dursley bedroom, right? Like, there's, like, is there owl shit everywhere again? I no, feel like there's they're...
2: like apple cores.
0: Oh, there's app, there's apple cores
2: everywhere, and like used quills.
0: He's just been like chowing down on apples for like the last couple weeks.
2: Like a pony.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's like apple cores and like used quills everywhere, as well as newspapers, which is handy for catching us up on some exposition. Um, there's just copies of the Daily Prophet. Uh, the Daily Prophet is now referring to Harry Potter as the Chosen One. Uh, we see that there are articles speculating that he might be the only person who can defeat Lord Voldemort. We also see a pamphlet from the Ministry of Magic on the floor demonstrating defensive spells and security measures for, uh, life during wartime. So, this ain't no party, this ain't no disco, this ain't no fooling around. Harry's snoring with his face up against the glass when the fucking streetlights start to go out. So, boom, it's motherfucking Dumbledore is back on Privet Drive doing his favorite fucking thing in the universe, which is blotting out street lamps. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Dumbledore sent Harry a letter like a while back saying that he was going to come and pick him up before the start of term. So Dumbledore shows up. The Dursleys are not super thrilled as you might expect, because Harry didn't tell them, so I don't, that's kind of an etiquette faux pas on Harry's part, but I mean, it's the fucking Dursleys, so whatever. Dumbledore sits the Dursleys down. He, in like kind of a hilarious way, he like charms the sofa to like zoom forward and scoop them up and then zoom back against the wall. Uh, anyway, there's some fucking slapstick comedy here. He conjures up a bottle of mead, and some glasses, which insistently tap themselves against the Dursleys' head because they don't want to drink anything from a wizard. I guess that's smart of them, but I don't know. Dumbledore's usually got like that good shit.
2: I frankly don't think the Dursleys are wrong not to accept a beverage from this weirdo, but whatever. When
0: Albus Dumbledore offers you a beverage, you say yes. Anyway, so the fucking glasses are hilariously, like, nudging themselves up against the Dursley's heads. And Doubletower says, all right, we've got some, like, legal shit we've got to work out. It turns out that Sirius Black left everything in his will to Harry Potter, but, like, Grimmauld Place is in magical escrow or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's basically in, like, magic escrow. So they don't know if they can still use the house as the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, because there might be some fucking weird charm that said it couldn't go to anyone but, like, a pure-blood member of the Black family, so anyway, the big risk is that it might go to Bellatrix Lestrange, so Lestrange? I can never remember.
2: saying Lestrange. You it's, say Lestrange.
0: I say Lestrange. Yeah. I say Lestrange, you say Lestrange, let's call this podcast off. I think Jim Dale says Lestrange.
2: Jim Dale also gives her a French accent.
0: That's true. All right. Irrelevant then. So anyway, the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix might belong to Bellatrix Strange now, which would be a problem. So Dumbledore says there's a simple way to fix this. He summons Creature, the house elf, and says, Harry, A, congratulations, you're a slave owner now. Oh, uh, Jesus. Uh, B, give Creature an order and see if he follows it. So, Creature is shouting and saying he won't take orders from Harry Potter, and he's, like, pounding his fucking fists and hands on the ground. Harry says, Creature, shut up! And then Creature can't speak at all.
2: Which is, like, really upsetting.
0: I know! And then he orders him to go to Hogwarts and work in the kitchens. There's also, like, some loose ends with Buckbeak. Sirius doesn't own Buckbeak.
2: Basically, I mean... Like, sort
0: of? Like, I guess he adopted him?
2: Yeah, nobody really owns Buckbeak,
0: Anyways, Harry gets Buckbeak, but he lets him live with Hagrid, so that's real fucking nice. But
2: his name is Witherwings now. Oh,
0: that's pretty tight.
2: Yeah, because they don't want the Ministry to know that Buckbeak, like, survived his execution.
0: Dude, but the Executioner was a Death Eater. Can't they just be like, uh, this whole thing...
2: I mean, it's fucked up.
0: They should declare like a mistrial for Buckbeak, basically. Well, they
2: don't need to because his name is Witherwings and he's fine. Now
0: he's just a different hippogriff that looks exactly the same. But I think the ministry has like bigger things like to deal with right now than like hunt down some fucking fugitive hippogriff. But whatever. I'm glad Buckbeak has a cool new like nom de care now. Or
2: whatever. <laughs> it's um, a literal nom de Yeah, guerre. it
0: is. Anyway, um, I say anyway a lot. Yeah. Because I'm often off track <laughs> in, in these summaries. One more loose end that Dumbledore has to tie up. He says, Harry's going to be a man next year when he turns 17. Vernon says, that's ridiculous. As if that's like the most ridiculous thing about like wizarding.
2: Is that they like come of age a like year, a year earlier? earlier?
0: But anyway, wizards come of age at 17. Dumbledore says... Dumbledore says, Harry's got one more year of living with you. I put this badass charm on the house that says he can't be hurt as long as he's in his relative's care. So can you please just let Harry call this place a home for one more year? Also, you guys were fucking douchebags to him, and fuck you. Not quite in those words, but he basically says that. So... The Dursley sort of mumble their assent to this, and uh, Harry and Dumbledore head for the door. And Dumbledore says, and now, Harry, let us step out into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. Harry's like, whoa, that's like really dramatic, man, but all right.
2: It's a good line.
0: <laughs> They're going to head to the burrow where Harry's going to spend the rest of his term. Before that, Dumbledore has an errand for Harry. Once again, Hogwarts has staffing problems. They're down a professor, so Dumbledore has recruited Harry to help him recruit an old, like, retired Hogwarts professor. So Harry grabs hold of Dumbledore's arm, and they apparate for the first time in Harry's life. It feels like his fucking, like, head is gonna implode or something. It's very unpleasant. Also, one other little development. Dumbledore has, like, a fucked up zombie hand now, which looks like... He's got some like third degree burns or something. It's uh, it's kind of disturbing. So Harry and Dumbledore apparate to the charming village of Budley Babberton. Dumbledore and Harry have a lot of catching up to do. We learn why you can't apparate into someone's house, which we overlooked last episode. It's because wizards often have like security measures and uh, stuff like that. Also, it's just rude to apparate into someone's house. Dumbledore says, so.
2: Which is so, that's very unlike wizards to, like, think (laughs) about how that's rude, because (laughs) wizards do all kinds of rude shit all the time.
0: We learn that Dumbledore is pretty meh on Scrimgeour. He's also pretty skeptical of the Ministry's public information campaign to uh, help people fight off Death Eaters and Lobo. We learn about Inferi.
2: We'll get to that. Which
0: we'll talk about later. It's, um... Fucked up. It's pretty upsetting. Uh, It's a zombie jamboree, basically. (laughs) So, after this not so small talk, they enter the house of Dumbledore's erstwhile colleague. It looks like the end of a horror film. There's like blood splattered on the wall. It's all like shit's like overturned. It's a fucking mess. Dumbledore doesn't seem super concerned. He randomly stabs an armchair with his wand, which then turns into "but but but." Motherfucking Horace Slughorn was disguised as a fucking overstuffed armchair. So,
2: and boy is overstuffed. Yeah. Which again, we will talk yeah.
0: about. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Horace Slughorn is an absolute unit. He's just a. Round he's a boy. round boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go to Round Boy's uh Instagram account very good. Horse Slughorn would be on there. So anyway, Slughorn's like, you'll never get me to come out of retirement. Dumbledore says, okay, but how about a drink? Again, if Dumbledore asks you if you want a drink, you say yes. So Slughorn's like, all right, I'm down for a pint or whatever it is they have. Probably something stronger than that.
2: A sobering ale.
0: A sobering ale. I mean, the gist of it is Slughorn says, I'm getting too old for this shit. Dumbledore says, I am too. Then he flashes a ring at Slughorn that Harry has never seen Dumbledore wear. It's sort of like dark and cracked and there's a flicker of a frown on Slughorn's face. So, foreshadowing. Dumbledore says, hey, I gotta hit the head. He goes off to the bathroom, leaving Horace and Harry to talk. We learn that Harry's mom was one of Horace Slughorn's favorite students. We also learn that Horace was head of Slytherin House. Horace shows Harry all these pictures of his former students who are now famous. There's pro athletes, Gringotts executives, etc. etc. And Horace talks about all the sweet hookups they get him. Like, he gets lots of candy. The founder of
2: Honeydukes. Yeah. Which, that one's badass. Yeah, I
0: mean, that's a legitimate hookup. So, Dumbledore eventually comes back. Slughorn's like, what took you so long? He's like, I was reading knitting magazines, bro. I love Dumbledore in this one. Dumbledore and Harry take their leave, and just as they're about to exit the door, Horace is like, okay, I'll do it. I'll come back to Hogwarts, but I want a raise. Dumbledore is like, sweet. After they leave, Dumbledore tells Harry that Slughorn, that the reason Slughorn is coming back is because Harry is famous as hell and he's gonna want to quote collect him, unquote. Basically Horst Slughorn is a huge starfucker who loves like teaching like famous students. He had this club of like people he thought were super promising, and Harry will be
2: The crown jewel. The crown
0: jewel of his collection. So Harry's like, wow Dumbledore, you were one manipulative motherfucker. And he doesn't actually say that, because no one calls Dumbledore on anything. And they apparate to the burrow, but before they head in for some of Molly's home cooking, they have to duck into a broom shed full of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I guess for dr- like dramatic effect, right? you know, Dumbledore's like, we can't be fucking out in the open just shooting the shit. So, into the spider cupboard it is... Dumbledore's like, hey, I'm sorry your godfather's dead and life sucks. Also, you should tell your friends about the prophecy where either you live or Voldemort lives, because that's just a lot of shit to keep to yourself. So that's nice of Dumbledore, all things considered. Dumbledore also tells Harry that he'll be taking private lessons with him this year, just about like this and that. He doesn't say what they'll be studying, but I mean, that's pretty cool.
2: And he doesn't have to do Occlumency anymore.
0: And yeah, that's true. And Dumbledore gives Harry literally the best piece of advice this whole series. He's like, "Please, for the love of God, take your invisibility cloak with you everywhere."
2: Why haven't you been doing yeah, that? Like, this you should have been whole time. <laughs> yeah,
0: every book, you should have been doing that, bro. Uh, and please stay out of trouble while you're at the Burrow because Molly and Arthur are really sticking their necks out for you. And uh, then they go inside, and that's what happens in this week's chapters. All right, I think that was about one minute.
2: (laughs) So are you ready for a dumb observation?
0: Yeah, always.
2: This book is good, yo.
0: It's really good.
2: Toward the end of Order of the Phoenix, I was, like, honestly pretty exhausted with this series. Like, obviously, it's fun to do the podcast, but it was relentless. We talked about that a bunch of times. I really like the pacing of Half-Blood Prince. It's a chiller book. And it's interesting because so much bad shit is happening, obviously, but this book is really funny and sort of in kind of an OG Harry Potter mode.
0: Yeah, it's more character-driven, I'd say. It's a nice beat change.
2: It really is, and I feel like scenes and relationships have a lot more time to ripen in this one. The Horace Slughorn chapter is so fun and he's such a great character and we're just given time with it. And if in a way I feel like books four and five in particular, you're just at this like crazy breakneck speed through the whole thing. And Which here, is
0: weird because they're each like 800 pages long. <laughs> they're
2: overstuffed and this book has a lot in it. But yeah, I just feel like she's gotten into a really good spot with the kind of pacing and tempo and... Like I said in the first episode, I don't remember this book all that well, and I'm really enjoying it. I was having a really fun time reading, which is the best thing about Harry Potter, and I had lost that a little bit toward the end of the last book, so I'm having a blast. So this is your favorite book, right? It's one of
0: them. I'm not sure what my favorite book is. I think it... Half-Blood Prince is up there. I guess I'm going to do the cop-out parent thing. I love them all differently...
2: But you've been really looking forward to this one.
0: Yes, I have. I think because she really gets back to centering school for most of the book. Horace Slughorn is such a teacher character, and we'll talk about him, obviously, in depth later. But these books really excel when she's talking about like just the rhythms of the school year. And we get back to Hogwarts so much faster in this one. In Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix, it's like 200 pages. That's not the exact count, but it's like at least 100 pages before you get back to Hogwarts. And uh, this book just, it feels more efficient. It's still a long book, but...
2: It trims a lot of the fat and it shaves a lot of the really Baroque elements off. And I'll say this again, this book is very funny. There are multiple scenes just in these chapters that are hysterical. Dumbledore is really funny and Harry is sort of his sense of humor is ripening too. So overall, like I just feel like I think my favorite thing so far about Half-Blood Prince is like it's comic moments really land.
0: It's a smart authorial choice to not lower the stakes, but just bring the heat down a little bit on the narrative for a while because, you know, the end of the last book was so intense So this is a nice extended reset.
2: And so much bad shit is happening. So obviously like, and we don't lose that, but it does have that feeling of like a wartime novel where you get some of the like quotidian aspect of being a nation at war. And so therefore it's not like just relentless. So I want to talk about the Daily Prophet for a minute because... Apparently, all of a sudden, the Daily Prophet reporters, like, figured out how to do their fucking jobs. <laughs> I don't know, like, overnight. I, maybe they had some kind of, like, boot camp in reporting.
0: Well, what was Fudge doing? Was there some weird gag order they on must, them?
2: I mean, obviously, there was some kind of gag order, but all these articles are pretty accurate and pretty informative. They, like, have good sourcing, even though a lot of it is kind of, like, deep background. Like, they actually know the content of the prophecy, which is, again... I mean, they
0: don't know it, but they, like, take a pretty educated guess. Well, away. I don't
2: think it's a guess. I think they have some kind of sourcing.
0: Yeah, but nobody knows what the prophecy is except Dumbledore and Harry.
2: Yeah, but a lot of guess people... Trelawney. A lot of people, like, have at least a sense of what it is. Right.
0: Well, I mean, the speculation is on point. Yeah. It's about Harry being basically the only one who can defeat Voldemort. I and guess it's not... I guess the prophecy doesn't specifically say that, but...
2: But that's the gist. Heavily implied. They get the gist. So rather than just like accept the no comment of ministry officials, they like go elsewhere. And again, they like do some deep background in some of these stories. They're like a source close to the minister said blah, 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 blah.
0: Well, maybe there was a shakeup there because they also fucked up the Voldemort story. Yeah,
2: maybe the public information officer at the ministry is like better at his job now.
0: I. It's a whole new era, man.
2: Well, so the other and kind of opposite thing we have are these fucking ministry pamphlets. You know, they're basically like, have a fire plan, like, make sure you have a buddy. Like, totally useless advice for, like, a war.
0: It's very, like, duck and cover. Yeah. Where you're not going to dodge that killing curse, man.
2: Uh, It's true. I
0: mean, I guess you technically could, but...
2: It's like classic it, security theater. I mean, Harry has literally dodged Killing Curses like dozens of times. That's true. So, But maybe, you know what I mean. Like, no, I do, obviously. When the, when
0: the bomb drops, getting under your desk, probably not going to be that effective.
2: Get in like a lead refrigerator, apparently.
0: Wow, nice Kingdom of the Crystal Skull reference.
2: I know, that was kind of a deep pull for me. We
0: saw that on silent at a bar like two weeks ago. That so. movie
2: is dismal. Also, Kate, Have you seen the whole movie? Hell yeah. Absolutely I have. It's terrible. I think
0: I saw it once in theater.
2: Kate Blanchett is like a Russian operative in it and I don't know, whatever. It's a bad movie. <laughs> but it does have an iconic scene of surviving a nuclear blast in her fridge. But this is like classic security theater. Well, I
0: mean, the ministry has to do something to like look like it's
2: Right. Doing
0: something, basically.
2: It should do more. It should actually do something. Well,
0: I mean, Fudge told the Prime Minister that he's got auras on the case. That's
2: true. It's just classic security theater. Like, these pamphlets aren't actually helping anyone. They just are, like, doing a lot of bluster to look like they're contributing. The one thing that these pamphlets are useful for is that they mentioned in Fairy, which Dumbledore explains are fucking magic zombies. Dude. So this is a moment of J.K. Rowling like doing the most. (laughs) Like, oh, you guys have zombies? Like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, so they're corpses that have been reanimated to do an evil wizard's bidding.
2: And apparently in the last war, he had an army of them.
0: Just from people he'd killed and then turned into magic zombie soldiers
2: they're that's traumatic as fuck that
0: is fucking that is fucked up are
2: there in fairy in these books i forget if we actually meet any but it's really Uh, scary i think
0: they're in fairy trying to take down dumbledore and harry in the lake
2: oh that's why i remember like dead things like in hercules yeah also somebody made us an illustration of a Megasis. (laughs) <laughs> Which I appreciate with all my heart.
0: So Dumbledore's in fine form in these chapters. He seems to be just—he's letting it all hang out, basically trolling the Dursleys with magic, floating, insistent beverages. He's definitely had multiple drinks throughout this, uh, <laughs> throughout this little arc here, you know. Getting loaded, reading knitting magazines on the crapper, and uh, she seems to be having a ball, uh, zombie hand aside.
2: Yeah, Dumbledore has no more fucks to give.
1: <laughs> I would assume that you were going to offer me refreshment, Dumbledore said to Uncle Vernon. But the evidence so far suggests that that would be optimistic to the point of foolishness. A third twitch of the wand and a dusty bottle and five glasses appeared in midair. The bottle tipped and poured a generous measure of honey-colored liquid into each of the glasses, which then floated to each person in the room. Madam Rosmerta's finest oak-matured mead, said Dumbledore, raising his glass to Harry, who caught hold of his own and sipped. He had never tasted anything like it before, but enjoyed it immensely. The Dursleys, after quick, scared looks at one another, tried to ignore their glasses completely a difficult feat as they were nudging them gently on the sides of their heads. Harry could not suppress a suspicion that Dumbledore was rather enjoying himself.
2: This is actually my favorite Dumbledore. A thing that's fun here is that everything that makes Dumbledore a truly hideous educator makes him a very good, like, adventure friend. (laughs) Trolling the Dursleys is really fun. It's fucked up that he also trolls children regularly at the school he runs. But when the I mean, trolling not that,
0: how when does he really troll them? He mostly just puts them in. He mortal trolls peril.
2: Slytherin every year. Oh, that's true. When by... they almost win the House Cup, Never and then mind. he very right. arbitrarily gives the House uh, Cup to Gryffindor.
0: I retract that immediately. Yeah. Yes. He trolls children constantly. And sometimes there are actual trolls at Hogwarts, so what are you gonna do?
2: But yeah, the scene with the Dursleys is super satisfying. Although yeah. five years
0: late, I would say. It's satisfying to see Dumbledore put the Dursleys in their place, but couldn't he have done this, like, in book two?
2: I mean, frankly, couldn't he have checked on Harry, like, before Hogwarts and just (laughs) been like... Hey, remember me? Like, you guys need to do better. You can't just abuse this kid. Like, that's not what I told you to do. Dude,
0: Dumbledore never checks in at all. Is he, like, hoping the Dursleys will toughen him up? I know we've, like, discussed this before, but, like, holy crap. He's, his message to the Dursleys seems to be rather effective here. Well, but- it's
2: this really interesting moment when he says a thing that we've talked about, which is, like, calls out that the Dursleys have in a lot of ways, mistreated Dudley differently, but Dudley has turned out way worse than Harry. And he says that in front of Dudley, and you can see the seeds being planted for Dudley's, like, redemption arc, because he's like, oh, yeah, my parents are, like, deeply bad people.
0: And, yeah, you can definitely, the wheels are, like, turning in his head a little bit.
2: Yeah. So And even, like, Aunt Petunia a little bit. Like, Vernon seems to be the only one that is totally unaffected by this, like, whole Dumbledore spiel because like Petunia for example like very surprisingly knows Harry's birthday she's like no he doesn't come of age for another year because I know his birthday and it's like a month before Dudley's or whatever so we learn Dumbledore's favorite type of jam
0: it's raspberry
2: it is that surprised me I would have guessed it would have been like an orange marmalade or an apricot why I don't know they just seem like more whimsical more his jam. <laughs> 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 Raspberry's
0: a solid flavor. I know, but, but
2: it's like really normal.
0: I know. I mean, we've got some raspberry jam in the fridge.
2: What's your favorite type of jam?
0: Probably sour cherry from, oh. yeah, from the farmer's market. Hell
2: yeah. Sour cherry is the only jam. The other great thing about sour cherry is you can mix it up in yogurt.
0: Mm. And it's
2: very delicious. You can mix
0: up any jam in yogurt. No,
2: I know, but sour cherry is the best one.
0: Well, I don't know. This is sort of the basic jam choice, but... Uh, what are you going to do? Dumbledore. I, think,
2: I think given any toast opportunity, I would pick lemon curd, especially on like a crumpet. But I'm going to agree with sour cherry if we're talking specifically jams. I also think that Dumbledore would agree with me that lemon curd is superior to most things.
0: I mean, he loves like lemon drops. I know, so... that's what I'm saying.
2: I wonder if he does lemon drop shots. <laughs> can you, can't you? can you see Dumbledore doing a lemon drop?
0: Um. Yeah, absolutely. Hell there, yeah. There would be some kind of like It would be, like, so sour. It, like, makes your, like, head invert, like, temporarily or something. I don't know. Yeah, a wizarding lemon drink. There'd be some wizard shit involved. Uh, But we learn Dumbledore's favorite jam because he jokingly chides Harry for not asking him what his favorite flavor of jam is uh, as a security question to make sure he's not, like, a body double. That's a little tip from the ministry pamphlets. And Dumbledore points out... A very good rule of basic cybersecurity, which is don't pick a security question, which anyone can easily guess by just doing some basic research. Although I'm not sure how in a world without the Internet you would figure out that that was Dumbledore's favorite jam flavor. But I guess you could just talk to some people who'd like
1: been at, toast the sta- with him. Yeah,
0: been at the staff room table. So uh, so then- yeah, don't pick yeah security questions. Don't use the actual answers on them pick something else pick like when it says what's your favorite jam put like um poop yeah not even no not even a just pick something else pick like a sentence that's like
2: you shouldn't say poop jam
0: no why i don't know just pick something like completely random honestly pick an alphanumeric answer answer and put it in your password manager so this has been a public service announcement from the Quibbler.
2: Don't give the actual answer to security questions. Yeah,
0: don't put your mother's fucking maiden name because someone can easily find that out. My mother's maiden
2: name is half of my current name, so I never pick that one.
0: Well, there you go. Pro tip from Albus Dumbledore. He, uh, He should really get on this whole internet thing. It's just starting around the time that this book is happening.
2: True, true. Another thing that Dumbledore does in this scene that is like in true Dumbledore fashion, like supremely fucked up is he... Gives Harry a slave?
1: Dude. Give him an order, said Dumbledore. If he has passed into your ownership, he will have to obey. If not, then we shall have to think of some other means of keeping him from his rightful mistress. Won't, 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 won't! Creature's voice had risen to a scream. Harry could think of nothing to say except, Creature, shut up! It looked for a moment as though Creature was going to choke. He grabbed his throat, his mouth still working furiously, his eyes bulging. After a few seconds of frantic gulping, he threw himself face forward onto the carpet, Aunt Petunia whimpered, and beat the floor with his hands and feet, giving himself over to a violent but entirely silent tantrum. Well, that simplifies matters, said Dumbledore cheerfully. It seems that Sirius knew what he was doing. You are the rightful owner of number 12 Old Place and of Creature.
2: He's like, the congratulations, you're not only a property owner, you're a slave owner. The
0: Dursleys must be like, wait, you're lecturing us about etiquette and being a good person? You
2: just brought a fucking slave <laughs> yeah. into our home. <laughs>
0: Our nephew's a slave owner. What the fuck? Yeah.
2: If I were them, I'd be like, oh man, I was totally right about wizards. You guys are messed up.
0: I mean, the Dursleys probably aren't thinking about Creature's welfare at all, unfortunately. They would be the first ones to be down with house elves if they were wizards, so...
2: That's true. Um, They're mostly concerned because Creature is hideously dirty.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, somebody get Creature a Bath.
2: I mean, Harry can... Command him to. He take should one. order him to. D- creature,
0: do some self care, <laughs> is what his order should have been. To creature, not go fucking do dishes. Creature, take a bath, start a meditation practice, do
2: a face mask.
0: Yeah, is what his order should have been.
2: Um, well his order should have actually not been an order at all. And it's what Harry wants. Harry's like, "I don't want him. Like let's get rid of him." And
0: Dumbledore's like, "LOL, we don't free slaves when it's inconvenient to us."
2: Yeah. Dumbledore's whole thing is like you don't want creature to like be able to like go tell all his secrets to uh, Bellatrix Lestrange, which like ugh, huh. I guess like fair enough, but it's like weighing the like I don't know, the Freedom of the human or elf spirit against like your own personal kind of like needs and wants. I
0: mean, I guess I, I guess it's like a greater good situation. But like again, I don't know
2: what the greater good is. Dumbledore's got a slave (laughs) owning society. (laughs) Jesus.
0: Dumbledore does a lot of things for the greater
2: good. Yeah, Uh, with totally unilaterally for the greater good. That's like one of his great failings as a human being. Is he is like classic white man which is deciding what the greater good is for everybody else
0: magic law is fucking weird it is they need like they're just trying to work this out the wizarding world needs lawyers to figure out these like
2: oh i know they have strange
0: wizard contracts where they're just like all right give this elf an order and like if it doesn't work like who the fuck knows what'll happen
2: (laughs) yeah um it's true that there's no one to like suss out the, like, actual legal ramifications of Sirius Black's will.
0: Wizard contract law causes a lot of problems in these books.
2: What's another example?
0: Dude, the binding magical contract of the Goblet of Fire is why Voldemort comes back. Yeah, there's also the Unbreakable Vow.
2: Overall, they have... Or the fucking secret keeping.
0: Yeah. There's
2: a lot of contractual issues in these books.
0: And, and no one seems to get any legal advice before, like, entering into these contracts. But. Yep whatever. So, Dumbledore is just like, I dabble in real estate law on the side, so I know how to, like, fucking work this shit out.
2: Well, Creature stays slash becomes really important in these books, so I guess, like, nice to reintroduce him, but it remains possibly the, like, one... I mean, it's kind of the fatal flaw of the Harry Potter universe in a lot of ways. (laughs) So, like, that's a nice reminder. We learn... A little more about apparating. Harry experiences his first apparition. And it's terrible. And it's awful, which is so in keeping with wizarding. feels
1: like iron bands are being wrapped around his chest.
2: Yeah, it's like very brief torture.
1: Harry felt Dumbledore's arm twist away from him and redoubled his grip. The next thing he knew, everything went black. He was being pressed very hard from all directions. He could not breathe. There were iron bands tightening around his chest. His eyeballs were being forced back into his head. His eardrums were being pushed deeper into his skull, and then... He gulped great lungfuls of cold night air and opened his streaming eyes. He felt as though he had just been forced through a very tight rubber tube. It was a few seconds before he realized that Privet Drive had vanished. He and Dumbledore were now standing in what appeared to be a deserted village square, in the center of which stood an old war memorial and a few benches. His comprehension catching up with his senses, Harry realized that he had just apparated for the first time in his life. "'Are you all right?' asked Dumbledore, looking down at him solicitously. "'The sensation does take some getting used to.' "'I'm fine.' said Harry, rubbing his ears, which felt as though they had left Privet Drive rather reluctantly. But I think I might prefer brooms.
0: It's wild that apparition is so terrible that some wizards prefer to sit on a fucking broomstick for five hours instead of just going somewhere immediately.
2: I mean, all a broomstick does is fuck up your grundle.
0: I know, it's just grundle-pounding for hours. Ugh.
2: I wish I hadn't introduced Grendel.
0: We've already introduced this. Um, Back in maybe the Super Bowl episode.
2: So my question... The crimes
0: of (laughs) Grendelwald.
2: Jesus. (laughs) Um, My question about this is basically... So wizards don't seem to have comfort as like a primary value in their society. Which is really different from muggles. Like... I mean air travel isn't very comfortable but there's a lot of ways that you can like pay to like upgrade to like being treated like a human being on a plane and wizards don't really have that. Like there aren't options to make any of this like better. So my question is kind of about the metaphysics of magic. Like are these spells developed and so it just means that comfort actually is in a wizarding world value or is operating some kind of, like, inherent, kind of, like, universal force. Like, my understanding is people come up with spells.
0: So someone at some point invented how to apparate.
2: And, like, made apparating exist and feel the way it does. Probably, I guess, within the confines of, like, physical reality. But it seems like you probably could have made it more comfortable.
0: I don't think so. I think whatever magical physics allow apparating to occur, this seems like the only way to do it right
2: so my question to you is or
0: or like like your ears are still gonna pop right on an airplane even if you're like in first class like
2: that's true it seems it seems
0: like whatever like wormhole they're like squeezing through just comes with some unavoidable physical discomfort
2: that's true but i I mean
0: i also wouldn't put it past wizards just be like oh this is the only way to do it and uh never explore the question any more. I don't know. Would you apparate places? Well, that
2: was my question for you.
0: Oh, wow. Great minds. This is why we're married.
2: One of the many reasons. <laughs> um, I think I would.
0: It's instant. Brief moment of intense discomfort, but...
2: It sounds like more than intense discomfort. It sounds pretty excruciating, actually.
0: Well, it's wild because, I mean, if you watch the movies, people are just apparating like... Pop, 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 like every fucking five seconds in the You'd... ministry battle. But each time they're having like their head like imploded.
2: Yeah. And uh, they don't seem to ever need a minute to like recover.
0: I, I guess you just
2: you get, get used, used to it. it. Or yeah. maybe you get
0: better at it. Or maybe because Harry's not the one apparating, he's like co-apparating. It's somehow worse for him. Maybe Cause better for Dumbledore. Because they're squeezing two
2: people through like the same wormhole. Which, I'm wondering what her conception of the physics of apparating is. Because it sounds basically like, yeah, a wormhole.
0: I don't know. A second of apparating sounds better than fucking flying on a cylinder. A wooden cylinder. Flying on a broom sounds
2: insanely fun. Are you kidding? I mean, it
0: sounds fun, but it sounds uncomfortable after the first, like, 20 minutes. You rode
2: 100 miles on your bike.
0: Yeah. It didn't feel good the next day.
2: (laughs) Or for, like, weeks after. There's t- there's too many ways to get around in this. It's true, and none of them are pleasant.
0: The Hogwarts Express is nice as fuck, but there only seems to be one fucking train line in like magical Britain. Also,
2: the Hogwarts Express is just a steam engine, basically. <laughs> like that comes from Muggles, dude.
0: But there's like a snack trolley, and I know. it seems cozy as fuck.
2: You can go to the snack car on an Amtrak.
0: Yeah, but it's not the Hogwarts Express. I mean, fair. There's no comparison between Amtrak and the Hogwarts Express. I'm
2: like a stan for Amtrak. I fucking love riding Amtrak.
0: I mean, yeah, it's like nice to take the train. This is
2: not a paid post. (laughs) (laughs) I just really like Amtrak.
0: I'm sure Amtrak has like no marketing budget for podcasts anyway, but... uh,
2: They have a, a writing fellowship.
0: Oh yeah, where you just write on the Amtrak? Do
2: they like pay for you to take a long ass Amtrak trip and you just write?
0: you think with how many infrastructure weeks we've had, we would have, like, better passenger trains in this country, but...
2: Well, yeah. I mean, also bridges.
0: <laughs> Let's get into the real meat of this episode.
2: Oh, and is he meaty.
0: The ultimate pillow king, Horace Slughorn.
2: Do you know what that phrase means?
0: Do you love pillows? <laughs> Besides thinking... That Horace Slughorn is a cracking good character. I really relate to his love of cushions, padded seats, and like pillows in general.
2: Yeah. Alex is constantly complaining. This is a little peek into married life. We have a totally normal number of pillows on our bed. And Alex is honestly constantly complaining that we don't have enough pillows. We have a
0: completely insufficient number of pillows. The pillows are also too thin.
2: His ideal sleeping position is just covered in pillows you you're ridiculous about pillows and horace slughorn agrees with you so it's understandable that this is your favorite character
0: (laughs) but i mean all right i like that we get another slytherin who's not i mean there are some troubling aspects of horace but he's not completely contemptible like he's not a dick
2: He's also not evil, more importantly. Right. He's interestingly amoral yeah. and interested. I mean, he's he's sort of a classic Slytherin. He's more
0: like Phineas Nigellus.
2: He actually, yes, he reminds me a lot of Phineas, and those are my two favorite Slytherins. Neither is a current child right. Slytherin. I
0: wish we'd gotten a student character, and I've complained about this so much, a student that's kind of similar to Horace Slughorn or Phineas, who ultimately is on the right side of things, but... You know, is like the frenemy Slytherin, but
2: that's neither here nor there. And the thing about Slughorn is, like, he's not sociopathic in a way a lot of the Slytherins we see are. Like, he has guilt, for example, about, you know, spoiler alert, but, like, teaching young Lovo about Horcruxes. Like, he feels responsible for his actions. He has, like, the basic... But hallmarks he, but of he like, doesn't
0: take responsibility for his actions i know but like Necessi- like not really
2: he but he feels guilty he's classic like sorting hat slytherin he's relentlessly self interested he's kind of amoral he thinks that power and influence are more important values than any kind of like quote-unquote like moral good or righteousness and he thinks that sort of the idea of righteousness is is shit which, I don't know, is he wrong? Like, I feel like in 2018, I have more and more questions about whether there is any such thing as righteousness. Whoa. But that's just because we live in dark times.
1: He bounced up and down a little, smiling in a self-satisfied way, and pointed at the many glittering photograph frames on the dresser, each peopled with tiny moving occupants. All ex-students, all signed. You'll notice Barnabas Cuff, editor of the Daily Prophet. He's always interested to hear my take on the day's news. And Ambrosius Flume, funny dukes. A hamper every birthday. And all because I was able to give him an introduction to Ciceron Harkis, who gave him his first job. And at the back, you'll see her if you just crane your neck. That's Gwenog Jones, who of course captains the holy head harpies people are always astonished to hear i'm on first name terms with the harpies and free tickets whenever i want them this thought seemed to cheer him up enormously and all these people know where to find you to send you stuff asked harry who could not help wondering why the Death Eaters had not yet tracked down Slughorn if hampers of sweets, Quidditch tickets, and visitors craving his advice and opinions could find him. The smile slid from Slughorn's face as quickly as the blood from his walls. "'Of course not,' he said, looking down at Harry. "'I have been out of touch with everybody for a year.' Harry had the impression that the words shocked Slughorn himself. He looked quite unsettled for a moment— then he shrugged. Still, the prudent wizard keeps his head down in such times.
2: Do you think that Slughorn is a good person?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is my question. I I guess I'm sort of biased because I like the character and think he's funny and you know, he's such a teacher archetype. Everybody knows this teacher, right, that has, like, the cult of personality uh, around them. I'm not sure because on some level it seems like he must have actually been a pretty good teacher because these former students, like, keep sending him, like, sweet candy care packages and, like, Quidditch tickets and stuff. Like, they must kind of like him on some level. So... And you think that's transactional? Not that they like Slughorn. They're just happy that he got them, like, hooked up with, like, good jobs or, you know, other connections?
2: I think it's deeper than that. As... I don't mean for this to sound braggy, but as, like, a card-carrying member of every version of a slug club that has (laughs) ever existed in, like, my milieu, like, I am, like, ugh, this sounds, whatever, this sounds bitchy, but it's true. I'm, like, a classic slug club kid. I'm the slug club kid that doesn't pan out. (laughs) That's not true. No, but, like, when I was young, I was, like, you know, whom the gods wish to destroy they first call promising. There was this particular history teacher. He like had this like really fun holiday party every year at his house, and he always invited like a very small handful of freshmen from his class. And it was like a huge deal to get an invitation to this holiday party among a really small subset of the kinds of kids that care about that shit, which was obviously me and I was invited to the party my freshman year. And my God, I felt cool. And so I actually adore this teacher. Like, he was an extraordinary person in a lot of other ways. But was that... Was totally that cult of personality teacher. Everybody that got to, like, kind of call him by his, like, nickname was, like, so fucking cool, we thought. And, like... (laughs) A
0: certain kind of
2: cool. A certain kind of cool. A certain, yeah, a certain sort of subset of cool. But... I will say as, like I said, having been a young person who was always in the slug club, you sort of love those teachers because they tell you you're promising. Like it, as like, especially a kid who gets told for a really, really long time that your skills make you like a dork and a loser, like having that teacher say like no, you're actually like going places. Regardless of whether you think they're a good person, like that feels fucking great. So, like, Lily Evans doesn't think that Horace Slughorn is like a good man, but she's like, fuck yeah, tell me I'm awesome. Like, that feels great. I don't know. Basically,
0: the way he talks about Lily, he seems to have real affection for her. I know, but did she have
2: real affection for him? I think so,
0: because they have this witty banter about whether she should have been in Slytherin or not that he remembers really fondly. And then later, there's a lovely scene later in the book. Which I won't. You might. You might not even remember but I the goldfish. Don't remember this
2: that. because that's my one of my impre- favorite parts
0: in all Harry Potter.
2: My impression is that Lily Evans is continuing to try to impress him with her wit. Which again, like I feel like I remember doing, even with teachers that I didn't think or that, like whatever. I'm not in gonna, several
0: chapters. I will be vindicated.
2: I believe you, but I'm just saying. Like I, there's a chat. There's this. Hopefully, is more obscure. But I ha- There's a teacher I have in mind who like again had a cult of personality who I like pretty intensely disliked and still deeply 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 wanted to like me.
0: What's well, fucked up if you're out of the slug club, right? Like
2: Well, that's the other thing. Okay, so a reason that I don't that I have trouble with him is that he's like a classic meritocrat in that he thinks that like smart and talented people are more important than non-smart or like than kind of just regular or average people which i fundamentally morally disagree with like he's not a good teacher to like just the regulars right like he's totally uninterested in like ron for example (laughs) he is he has no fucking truck with ron he has no interest in ron In this book. Other than like briefly saving him from like a love potion. But Ron is you know. I have obviously my like issues with Ron. But Ron's a fundamentally good person. And
0: worthwhile.
2: And also he's a child in your class. And your job is to be an educator. And you have to educate him just as much as any other kid. And Horace Slughorn only thinks that like cool smart interesting kids. Like matter basically. Which makes him... A a bad person and be a fucking shitty teacher. Yeah, a terrible teacher. That makes him an awful educator. So
0: he'll fit right in at Hogwarts. I mean, it's
2: also, it's like one of those teachers that like only teaches to the smart kids in class. That's fundamentally bad teaching. You have to teach all kids. You have to believe in the capacity of all kids to learn. To be a good teacher, you have to love children. And you have to not think that only the smart ones are like worth engaging. That's horrible.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think he's a good teacher. That's not why I like the character. He's just such a familiar, for all the reasons you just described, he's such a familiar archetype of a kind of teacher that I think J.K. really executes well. Like, why they're why that's terrible, but also what's sort of, like, charismatic oh, and yeah. appealing about he's someone like appealing. that. He's super
2: appealing. Were you ever, was there ever, like, a slug club type thing in your life? I
0: don't think so, but I definitely would have wanted to be in it. At a certain point, I went through like two phases, one of being like super accomplished and then I'm being like a terrible fuck up. So
2: and now you're back on the accomplished side of things. I guess
0: not really maybe splitting the difference. (laughs) Yeah, I split the difference between some mornings I'm a fuck up and some days I'm like doing pretty well. But uh.
2: this is a profound character flaw that I'm going to admit on the podcast for everyone to hear. But there's like virtually nothing I miss more than the days when. I was, like, VIP student.
0: President of the Slug Club.
2: I mean, yeah, that's a dark thing about me. I don't know if I was
0: ever in the Slug Club. But we can talk more about the Slug Club.
2: One thing about... One other thing about his morality is he's not a Death Eater. Like, I guess we can give him that. But he's not a Death Eater primarily for reasons of, like... He's not a Death Eater primarily because he, like, can't be bothered. Like, we don't really get that much of a sense that he... It's, like, a moral thing. He's just, like, ugh. It's, like, a whole fucking deal. And, like, they're exhausting.
0: I'm getting too old for this shit.
2: Yeah, basically. Like, he's not disinterested. I mean, I don't think he, like, super endorses murder. But he's certainly not interested in being in the Order of the Phoenix.
0: Well, he's not a true believer in anything, it seems I like.
2: I kind of relate to that, actually. So but
0: he doesn't want... To sacrifice for either of them because either side could fucking lose.
2: Right, and he's not a self-sacrificing person, which is what's so classically Slytherin. Right, he's just like I don't need to make any sacrifices. So many
0: Slytherins are Death Eaters. I know that way because you have to be a true believer. Like the Death Eaters are. I mean, say what you will about the. Tenets of Death Eaterism, but at least it's an ethos, right? <laughs> You've uh, used
2: that joke before.
0: Yeah, well, I just used it again. Um, so, well, I mean, they're they're like idealists in their own fucked up weird way. Yeah, like,
2: in my mind, it makes more sense for Gryffindors to be Death Eaters. Like,
0: uh, yeah, when you think about it like that. The but, I mean, you Slytherin
2: know, personality type doesn't actually lend itself to being... I mean, they are kind of fascist, but... The archetypal Slytherin to me really is a Horace Slughorn, someone who's fundamentally out for number one, not a particularly like dogmatic person, and not someone that's gonna like put their neck on the line for some fucking profit type. Right. D- that that doesn't the the Death Eater Slytherin doesn't actually feel true to you know who is a true Slytherin Death Eater, is are the Malfoys. Right. Because if they are out for number one, they look out for power. But like, for example... And they're protecting
0: their prestige.
2: Exactly. And their status. And right. the reason that they're Death Eaters is not for like deeply sort of ideological or loyalty reasons. It's because Death Eaterism is what keeps them on top. Like it's right. like a status quo preserver.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, I think
2: the I think the Malfoys are really strong slither like evil Slytherin. So it's archetypes. interesting because
0: Horace is actually like he does that kind of classic like bigotry of low expectations thing, where he says that it's surprising that Lily Evans was such a good student because she's like a Muggle born, and then he's like, "Don't think I'm prejudiced, please." But it's like, like she's just like articulate or that's whatever.
2: Prejudice, yeah, clean uh, and articulate. Yeah, that's prejudice. Yeah, but that's.
0: But he cares a lot less about those kind of old hierarchies. It's true. Than, but than that's what I'm saying. Like, like the he, merito- he actually, he is a meritocrat.
2: But the meritocracy is racist. Right. Because the meritocracy makes assumptions about the abilities of people based on where they come from. And then like it either gets confirmed or they're surprised when it gets disconfirmed.
0: But there's still more space for tolerance and like slughorns like. Oh, yeah. Of- Um, his philosophy. He's
2: more tolerant than like Lovo, but that's a low ass bar. Right, yeah.
0: He's still part of a pretty bad system. (laughs) Yeah. No,
2: and he plays into a bad system. I do want to talk about Slughorn's body because we've talked in the past about J.K. Rowling's supremely fucked up like fat equals bad methods and actually we had an email that said Horace Slughorn was a was a counter example and, a, and an example of how that she doesn't actually believe that. But I completely fundamentally disagree because his fatness is meant to say something negative about his character. It is a signifier for gluttony, for a lack of self-control, for like a desire for consumption and... Like, he is kind of a, like a Henry VIII type of fat. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to understand it to be a product of an excess of character. Which I fucking hate. She doesn't have any fat characters that are just fat. Like, I guess Molly Weasley is kind of like... Plump. but. That's very like, oh, matronly. Matronly, yeah. So I think her treatment of Horace Slughorn's body is actually incredibly upsetting.
0: Neville's sort of round-cheeked.
2: No, but Neville grows up hot.
0: In the movies. I don't think we're meant, are we meant to understand that in the books? I think we're meant to understand
2: that he kind of like slims down and chisels out in the books. All right. Maybe not. But I think he gets kind of wiry rather than stick. Because like when he's a fat kid, he's like a dumb kid. And then he like sort of.
0: But pure of heart
2: ugh <laughs> whatever no i think this plays right into her stereotypes about fat people like it's a lack of self control it's like a a out for me first type of body
0: all right that makes sense
2: a quick quibble i have also why does he s- splatter blood on the walls to try to seem like it's been he's been um attacked by the death eaters
0: maybe he just panics
2: i mean no he has dragon's blood around for that purpose right But, like, we've never seen a murder that involves any blood in these books.
0: I mean... They don't kill
2: people with, like, fucking swords. That's true. Like, the killing curse doesn't produce an excess of blood. But
0: they've got werewolves and inferior and shit that probably don't use, like, killing curses. Mm. That just, like...
2: I just find it really unlikely that... Horace Slughorn gets murdered in a way that creates a lot of blood.
0: I don't know. Well, clearly Dumbledore agrees with you. Clearly Dumbledore's like, this seems... Suspect. This seems a little much.
2: It is. It's very Baroque. (laughs) But we're not given to understand that Horace Slughorn can move particularly quickly. Like, a killing curse would do the trick.
0: He's literally a lazy boy. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) No, Dumbledore's like, you can move fast enough to like... Make this weird haunted house tableau.
2: That's true. That's a you good know, point. He's
0: surprisingly agile.
2: He's the strong kind of fat.
0: Yeah. These books are about Harry Potter, lest we forget. His name is in the title. So let's revisit. Let's catch up with Harry a, a little bit.
2: Mazel tov, Harry. Yeah. He's, You're really uh, becoming a man. Yeah,
0: he's almost 16. He's going to turn 16 like.
2: In a page or two. Yeah,
0: in a page or two. And he has this catch-up with Dumbledore where they talk about Sirius a little, and... uh,
2: Harry gives this really stirring account of, like, kind of where he's landed around the Sirius thing. He's like, look, like, I can't let grief get the better of me. I know that Sirius would want me to, like, stay myself, like, keep my head high, and, like, fight for what I believe in.
0: Basically, he says, no day but today.
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah. He does. He Yes, he basically does. And it's just... You know, it's kind of the like opposite. Like you can see a lot of growth from book five, Harry, where he was just like constantly in his feelings. He's sort of emerging from that like adolescent selfishness into a real leader and a real, I mean, he's he's becoming a, an adult, a brave, true adult man.
0: It's nice that Dumbledore is starting to treat him a bit more like a peer.
2: Yeah, it Not is. Not a
0: peer necessarily, but just as more of a, grown-up fully yeah. realized person it's the like also the literal least Dumbledore could do it is. after all this bullshit but.
2: well and there's this like li- there's this moment I think that gives us a real glimpse into where Harry is as a person because he is feeling he like is kind of embarrassed to see Dumbledore because the last time he saw him he was like he tried to destroy his all his weird silver widgets and he's really embarrassed by his that fidget
0: spinners oh god magical fidget spinners
2: Yeah he's like embarrassed and feels like he was kind of out of control and doesn't want to be reminded of that and first of all he was totally justified. He was experiencing A profound grief and B like incredibly understandable anger at Dumbledore but now he's sort of grown out of the desire to sort of like lead with his kind of like messy feelings and he wants to be a member of this team that's like fighting for good. He wants to really like step into that role of like the chosen one, basically. Yeah. So good for him. Showing a lot of, yeah, but he's showing a lot of maturity, a lot of growth, dealing with grief remarkably well.
0: All right. So that's where Harry's at.
2: Good for him. He's going to talk to his friends like a human adult.
0: Yeah. Harry's much, Harry's a lot easier to be around in this book.
2: He is. I think that's another part of why it's more not down, pleasant. I'm read. I'm
0: not. I'm not down on so-called emo Harry, but he has his time and place, and I'm I'm ready for uh, sweet sixteen, Harry.
2: Yep, and a sweet sixteen it will be. Not at no, all. It's, it's going to be an be awful year, fucking terrible again. But an adventure year. So you know things are things are complicated for Harry Potter.
0: But life life goes
2: on. Who's your unsung hero?
0: My unsung hero is. Madame Rosmerta, because I guess she makes her own mead, it seems like. Dumbledore conjures this bottle of mead and says, This is Madame Rosmerta's finest oak matured mead. So it seems like she makes that stuff on site. Like she probably brews her own beer too. Like that's pretty cool.
2: Maybe she has a distillery for fire whiskey.
0: She should give tours. She almost certainly does. Hog, I mean, besides being like a a school. Not a college town, uh, kind of, like sort of, yeah. You know, it seems like kind of a touristy, it's like a
2: brewery destination. Yeah,
0: it's like the Asheville or whatever <laughs> of, of the Wizarding World. So, oh, oh, but did he summon that from like his own collection?
2: I am assuming because
0: I don't think he could just. It seems it. like you can conjure generic beverages, but you can't conjure like specific beverages. Does I that make know. sense? Yeah, like you can.
2: I think the physics of it are pretty. It's kind of weird. Out. You can like
0: make, like when Fudge conjures the whiskey for the prime minister. Is that from like his own stash, or did he just like make that from whole cloth? I don't know. Because he says this is from Madame Rosmerita, so he must have just teleported that bottle from his like I guess probably extensive collection.
2: Oh yeah, and he didn't bring the good shit. It's just the Dursleys.
0: <laughs> no, that is good shit. He I know, says but like, finest.
2: He, but he probably has like. A, he probably has like vintages that are like something really, that, really choice, like
0: Nicholas Flamel set aside in like thirteen hundred, exactly or something like that. But it's uh, like
2: in um, Thirty Rock when they drink Bob Ballard's like twelfth century <laughs> mead, and everybody hallucinates.
0: Also, Harry like totally has a drink.
2: Yeah, I mean it's Dumbledore's very,
0: down with the underage drinking.
2: Well, it's it's pretty normalized in other countries. Uh, this is my
0: American puritanism, I guess. Yeah. I think the
2: age the age for um like beer and wine is 16. Oh, really? Yeah. So the drinking age for spirits is 18, but young people aged 16 or 17 can drink beer, wine or cider with a meal if it is bought by an adult. Oh shit. Um so illegal for no this age here. group to drink spirits in a pub even with a meal. So yeah, no, this is like a this is a pretty normalized like drinking culture. So, which is why I feel like it's, like, not even a thing for J.K. Rowling. Right. Because, you know, they just have a much more normal relationship with alcohol. All
0: right, Dang, dude.
2: My unsung hero is Barnabas Cuff, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Prophet, who righted the fucking ship somehow, um, and is a member, a former member of the Slug Club, and one of the photos that slughorn has on his
0: fucking had like a standards and practices meeting i
2: guess (laughs) i yeah he like cleaned house in there so i'm proud of him maybe he secretly rehired rita um and like she got her shit together i don't know i forget where she is now anyway you know good for him i love a journalist
0: Me too, obviously. (laughs) You do love a journalist. I love
2: a specific journalist. Um, I don't know if we've ever said this on the podcast, but Alex was the editor-in-chief of the Arizona Daily Wildcat school paper when we met. Uh, and fell in love.
0: A very bad editor-in-chief.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely accurate.
0: <laughs> that's You correct. were like
2: pre-this-year Barnabas cuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. And probably even worse than that. <laughs> but I wasn't printing ministry propaganda.
2: That's true. Yeah, you Less printing... sinister,
0: more incompetent.
2: Yeah, bumbling.
0: Uh, the staff was very good, though.
2: You hired a couple. I mean, I was it only... was a mixed bag. Ha, ha, ha. You hired a couple of pretty good editors. Our best man. One of them was our best man. Yeah, hired the best
0: man and... uh... And your wife. Yes, so there you go. So you
2: made some good hires.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by, of course, Madame Rosemerta's finest oak-matured mead. It's good to the last drop and legal for consumption.
2: The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from the... Mostly incomparable, minus the French accent, Jim Dale performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You can find us wherever it is one finds podcasts. Um, If you happen to use Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you left us preferably five stars and a nice review. Or I guess feedback if you have it, but like that's not our fave. (laughs) <laughs> we love feedback no, I'm kidding we, we love feedback we can take
0: all the feedback we
2: can indeed we have um, thick
0: thick skins god
2: speak for yourself dragon
0: hide skins
2: you can also shoot us an email at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com we're on social media at quibblerpodcast all over the place we occasionally do a newsletter which is tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast it's very fun when it does come out and it doesn't come out that often so, there's that. Next week, we will be reading the chapters called An Excess of Phlegm and Draco's Detour. So, barreling right along in Half-Blood Prince. We are happy to be here. Thanks,
0: amigos.
1: The fact remains that I'm an old man, Albus. Tired old man who's earned the right to a quiet life and a few creature comforts. I'm too old for this shit. Harry looked around. All three of the Dursleys were cowering with their arms over their heads as their glasses bounced up and down on their skulls, their contents flying everywhere. But before he could do anything else, Uncle Vernon shouted, "Will you get these things off us?" There was a loud crack, and Uncle Vernon bellowed, "What the is that creature?" Finished Dumbledore. Dum-dum the wizarding community is currently under threat from an organization calling itself the death eaters observing the following simple security guidelines will help protect you your family and your home from attack one you are advised to duck and cover duck and cover he did what we all must learn to do You you and you and you and you and cover. Be sure and remember what Bert the turtle just
2: did, friends.